Hello everyone and welcome to the Mortgage Show podcast. My name is Monty and I'm your host of the show that takes an insightful look deep into the mortgage and financial markets. We want to look at what makes it tick, speak to the movers and shakers, as well as those at the coalface to understand not just where we are, but where we are going and how we can improve. This week sees us look at another topic I'm especially passionate about, which is the whole question of financial literacy, education, and how millennials look at money in general. To help us look deep into these subjects, I am thrilled to have with me someone who I can only describe as writing royalty. There you go. She, that was a very <laughs> royal pose, that was. A very gifted, award-winning freelance journalist who writes on personal finance and consumer affairs. Um, she was a former troubleshooter at The Times and now writes loads of columns for people like The Times and Grazia magazine now, I understand. Uh, she's also just written a very excellent book. I thoroughly recommend Money, A User's Guide. Welcome, Laura Waitley. Thank you. What an intro. There you go. <laughs> I'm honoured. I built you up there, didn't I? You did, I? yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. No pressure, no pressure. Uh-oh. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm really delighted to have you. Thanks for spending the time. Um, so, I'm going to crack on then, if that's all right. Please do, yeah. Uh, as you may be aware, we're pretty passionate about financial literacy at Corico and, and at least trying to make sure that everything we do is jargon-free, down-to-earth, um, so reading this book actually was was a delight. It's it's written very much in a relaxed tone. Um, what compelled you to to write the book in the first place? Well, thank you. Um, so I've been writing about money for about ten years now. Right. Scarily, uh, <laughs> I started quite young. Um, when I left university, I started at the Times uh, in a very junior role yeah. when I was about twenty three. And so over these years, I've been writing about personal finance for the money section of the Times mainly. And I realised probably uh, slightly vainly that (laughs) a lot of my friends, (laughs) a lot of my friends, my sister never really read what I write because (laughs) um, probably because they don't engage with the money section of the paper. And I think there's quite a lot of younger people, people in their 20s and 30s, Mm. probably older people too, to be honest. But my contemporaries in particular who feel like, oh, the money section isn't for me. I'm not somebody who reads about finance. I don't even understand what a mortgage is. I don't really understand what a pension is. So I felt that I wanted to try and reach that particular audience who maybe don't feel like money is something for them, but obviously we all have money to greater and lesser (laughs) amounts. Um, So I wanted to repackage what I'd learned and partly what I'd learned through writing about money for the newspaper, but partly what I'd learned about money in my own life. So I started writing about money in 2007, so it was um, 2007, 2008, so just after Lehman Brothers collapsed. Yeah. So I was. That's a good time to start writing. I know about it. it was. Yeah, as I've written in the book, uh, there are a few things that did well out of the recession: condom sales and money journalists. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a time where I could see. You know, I was in my early twenties, so my friends and we were going through that period of growing up, figuring out how to manage our money yeah. at a time which was quite challenging and still has been ten years on. So. Mm. Part of the motivation of the book was to kind of look back at what I'd learned over the last 10 years, my own life in my journalism, and, mm. and present it in quite a slightly more sexy, easy to understand way for people who might yeah. freak out about money. Because I think there's a lot of 
people of all ages, to be honest, who are embarrassed to admit what they don't know. Yeah. And feel, uh, yeah, we didn't learn about money in school. Like you, you mentioned, yeah. financial education yeah. is important. We didn't learn about these topics. And if you haven't necessarily either had your parents telling you about it or listened yeah. to your parents telling you about it, <laughs> where are you supposed to pick up this knowledge? So yeah. that was the motivation for me. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, we I, genuinely, I'm not just being sycophantic. I, I, do, I do like it. And actually, we do... Um, we do series of educational seminars going around into firms and doing presentations on mortgages and financial well-being. And at the end of the sessions now, I do hold up your book. Oh, do you? Thank yeah. you so and much. And I did that in the last one we did and, and said, look, if you want to start uh, as a reference guide, this is a really good place to start. Because we found when we started doing this, um, we, we approached it at a certain level. We thought some people know something about mortgages and, and financial uh, uh things um <laughs> but actually what we found we dumbed down and dumbed down and dumbed down our presentation to such a degree that actually we start now with what is a mortgage yeah. did you know that a mortgage is a loan secured against your home people don't know these things is that is that something that that's just a millennial thing or is it just people people generally don't think about money in an age of easy credit and they just think it's yeah it's something i don't need to worry about now I think it's probably universal to a degree, but I think it's been easier, if I can generalise, for an older generation mm. to hide that because, you know, if you have plenty... I, so I'm of the opinion that most people, not everyone, but lots of people, probably the majority, are quite scared of maths and money and yeah. small print and terms and conditions, and there's probably big gaps in their knowledge about money. But if you've got lots of it, you can hide that quite easily, can't yeah. you? Um, and I think for a younger generation, we've got so, so many different challenges, how to afford housing, student loans, how to save for the future, um, lots of different pressures on finances. Like you say, easy credit. Mm. I think it's harder to escape from the fact that you need to worry about money, maybe. Yeah. So you you can't just think, oh, it's fine. Yeah. I've got a house. It's you know, I'll sort of make do. I don't really need to understand. I, I can pay more on my mortgage because I can afford to because I don't understand yeah. why there might be a yeah, better yeah, product. Yeah. Whereas I think, yeah, younger people probably feel a bit more that they just need to need to yeah. understand it. Yeah. So I would say, and I think that there's a bit of a trend for younger people to, to want to find out more. I, like lots of you know, people younger than me, so I'm 34 now, mm. uh, but Gen Z, so a younger generation have grown up completely with the internet and they're very yeah. good at you know, learning out how to do their eyeliner on YouTube <laughs> tutorials. Um <laughs> And I think it's the same with knowledge about things like money. I think mm. there's a sense like, I want to understand this. Um, I want to be an expert myself. So mm. I think there's quite a hunger for information. So you mentioned about schools and stuff. Do you, do you think the government should be doing more around the, around the subject, making sure education starts early? Or are we just forever reliant on people like Martin Lewis, for example, who's going out and campaigning and, and getting his own financial education book out there? I think the government should do more. Yeah, I do think we should learn about it in schools. It's interesting because, so my book came out um, in October and in April this year, so a few months after it had been out, it, it went viral on Twitter, which Brilliant. is hilarious <laughs> because it's a book about personal finances. Yeah, it's got a very cool cover that I can't take credit for, but um, ultimately it is about pensions and savings and investments. And, and a girl who I think was in her early 20s posted a photo of the cover of it I shall tweet. You can't see this. I'm holding up the book. I'll, I'll tweet a uh, 
cover a It's very picture. lovely and neon. It's very lovely. And she uh, tweeted a photo of the front of it and then the contents page. And the contents page is things like how to buy a house or yeah. everything you need to know about pensions. And for some reason, she didn't have that many Twitter followers, but it went viral and it had over 90,000 likes. Blimey. And all of the people... Und- and Oh, so the key thing is she put financial self-education with a picture of the book yeah. and said that she'd been teaching herself about finance mm. and all the comments underneath were like well, why don't we learn about this in school yeah. we learn about volcanoes I, I wish I understood <laughs> credit cards and um, so I think there is an appetite yeah, yeah to know more um, and, I've and, never got, I've never understood why it's not it, it should be part of the curriculum yeah. you learn about so many things that like artesian wells really what's the <laughs> point but actually credit card debt totally and it can be so devastating yeah to not understand things like how compound interest works or, you know, in terms of getting into unmanageable mm. debt. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, and then there's a really interesting charity called My Bank and that goes around and talks to younger people. In particular, they had a project called Money House and they talked to uh, older teenagers and people in their early 20s who were in care or um, in childhood housing, talked to them about basics like bills, credit, and um, they've cut the amount of people going to loan sharks um risking homelessness because they haven't paid their rent on time because they didn't understand the bills quite dramatically so they've shown an actual practical impact on talking Mm. to young people about money and just saying that this is what you need to know um so yeah i think it's really important yeah it is i I used an example from your book actually in, in the last one which it just really struck me i never thought of it so it's around credit cards where you say if you um if you've got a £3,000 credit card debt and you're paying at 19% per annum and you just pay the minimum payments of £74 and then that reduces the minimum payments, that'll take you 27 years and seven months to pay off. Um, An extra £4,000 in extra interest. But if you just up that to £108 a month and hold that steady, you pay it off after three years. Yeah, And And people just don't. Just don't know that. Stuff like that at all. And I think it's that you know the way these things are presented. It's just numbers and maths, isn't it? I'm not maths is definitely not my favourite <laughs> subject, and I know I'm not alone with that. And I think, yeah, you just you think, oh, I don't understand it. I'll just pay the minimum payment. Yeah. Without really, if you just understood that that potentially, you might think yeah. well, some people might still ignore it, but there'll be people who think, oh, okay, yeah, I'll make this yeah. a priority. That's I literally I. You know, I'd never really thought about it like that. And yeah. that, that really struck home to me. And that was a great thing to uh, say, sorry, I stole that and used it in a presentation. No, Everyone I think was taking this, I notes. Think, it was I think it's, was it the FCA? It was, it was someone who came up with that figure, so I stole it too. I think I did, <laughs> I did credit them in the book. But. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, so obviously we have an interest in mortgages and the first part of your book is all about that, how to get on the housing letter, ladder, save for a deposit, even how to rent well, which I think is really good. Um, what made you start with that part and where are the big gaps in people's understanding around that? So I decided to structure the book based on things that I think you know, people in their 20s, 30s are most concerned about yeah. and housing I think is number one just because there's such a disconnect between how much people are earning and how much houses cost mm. now. And, and obviously there's so many uh, discussions about whether it's just overspending in avocados yeah. and coffees. And <laughs> but you have to buy a lot of coffees to get... <laughs> I, I was writing about this this morning, actually, in Zoopla's latest figures, there's something like £119,000 is the average deposit in London. or you know, Blimey, like yeah. it, it, It's yeah. a lot of money. I mean, I, I know it varies, yeah. but it's high. Um so I think that's a big concern for a lot of young mm. people. And I think there's always been this 
idea of milestones in life and where you should reach by certain ages and, you know, you should meet mm. someone in your 20s and get married and then buy a house and then have a child. And I think that's very difficult for people now. Yeah. Um, very difficult for people to buy when they're young, certainly on their own. Um, and that can be quite disheartening. I think you can feel, I've got friends who are in their mid-30s who have not had help from mum and dad, um, who feel that they're in some way failing at life because they're still renting a bedroom in yeah. a three-bedroom flat. And, you know, they're earning good money. Mm. They've got a senior job. Mm. but It's interesting because loads of people say, oh, every it's changing now. We're a rental generation. No mm. one really cares about owning property anymore. I don't. I haven't seen that. I no. still. I still see people who. That I agree. That's one of their main goals in life is to is to own a property. They're just having to do it a little bit later, but they still want to do that. Yeah, and I think there's still there's quite a lot of insecurity about renting. And perhaps if we changed the model of renting, or there was more mm. of a movement towards making rent more secure, there's obviously interesting changes to fees in tenancy, and there's yeah. chat about abolishing you know rules on eviction but i think still there's a sense that renting is insecure that you're wasting your money by giving it to a landlord yeah. you're not investing in something you don't have capital um and you know if you've got young children and there's a lot the millennials are getting older yeah uh, that's right. you know into we're in the older millennials are in mid to late 30s <laughs> sadly um you know having young children and actually there's a concern that if you're renting with children that the you know, you might be booted out in a couple of years, or your rent might go up, yeah. and, and you're not. Ha and rents are expensive, so it's hard to save when you're renting. It, I mean, it varies across the country, of course, yeah. but lots of the best-paid jobs are still in southeast um, or in big cities that are expensive. Yeah. So yeah, so I think owning a house is still considered to be sensible financially. Um, maybe you, that will change. But yeah, do you do you think people understand the help to buy scheme, and as that really made a difference of people just going into it blindly or uh, I've met a few different people who've asked me about it mm. so I think there is a oh you know is this going to help and I have met people who said it's been great and it's helped them but there is this fear which is being publicized more and more that are oh, you just buying an overpriced property yeah um because it's helped by you know price has been pushed up and what's going to happen yeah. after the there's first there's a new build premium and then there's a help to buy premium yeah exactly so yeah. I think that's a a worry to people yeah. um and you mentioned a bit about you know part of the reason i so i can't unfortunately i can't solve the housing crisis but i wanted to write <laughs> if only i built you up <laughs> one that day, was one my day. crescendo <laughs> <laughs> but i i felt like oh well it at least for people who are sit, trying to think about whether they can buy i think mm. that the, a lot of the jargon in the buying a property process is really scary so m mortgages are so complicated yeah. and you know you've got fixed rate mortgages and variable rate and SVR and LTV and you know where do you start and often people don't know about that until they're trying to buy a house at mm. which point they're in a process that sometimes is moving mm. quite fast because you've seen a, a property that you want yeah um so I wanted to make people understand the process of buying a property or getting a mortgage mm. in order that they can think about whether that's something they might yeah. be able to do. I think yeah, I think you, you do it well and obviously you say that there are mortgage brokers so thank well, you for indeed. that. That's <laughs> and uh, yeah it's, it's important to, to obviously I would say that to, <laughs> to get proper advice around that. Um, but just on on something else there's a there's a great section on budget planning 
and I, I'm going to mispronounce this now. I learned this is the method we use, but it's called the is it the Kakibu method? Do you know of what? Budget I, I, had, I had to do it on YouTube. You know, when you type yeah. it into YouTube to see how it's pronounced. <laughs> yeah. And now I can't remember if it's Kakibo or Kakibo. I All think right. it's. Kikibo. Anyway, it's Japanese. <laughs> so budget budget planning yeah. is, is very important anyway. Uh, are there certain apps you use or you'd recommend to people to, to help people to get to grips with that? Yeah, I love apps. Um, <laughs> so I'm a devoted... So I don't like spreadsheets very much. So I'm a devoted Monzo and Starling user. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever used them. Yeah, Monzo. So, yeah, yeah, so app banks. But I just think any... There's loads of apps that help you do it as well, like Money, money Dashboard's quite good. Mm. Um, where you can just see Money Dashboard helps you see all your accounts in one place. Yeah. Monzo and Starling are good because they help you track your spending, so you can see how much you're actually spending in on the bus or yeah. on your pret sandwiches and yeah. things, um, which is scary. But or in the pub. Yeah, well, indeed. <laughs> Useful. I, I feel really sorry for these people who've gone to university with Monzo cards who um, <laughs> just like contactless yeah. vodka Red Bulls all night, whereas <laughs> when I used to go out... He used to be with like fifteen pounds in my pocket, and that's all I could spend. Um, so I like those, and I like these automatic savings apps. So right. things like Chip that work out whether you can. They look at your accounts and they analyse them, and mm. and even if it feels like you can't save any money, they will find some money for you to put aside, um, and only small amounts. But that can help you save without really noticing. Yeah. So I use, so if you're with Monzo, there's an app I love called IFTTT. I bang out on about this uh, all the time. It's called If This, if this Then That. Yes, yeah. yes. So it's an app that helps you combine other apps on your phone. So like the calendar app and the weather app. So it can say if it's going to rain, put a notice in your calendar to take an umbrella. Yeah. Um, but you can do it with Monzo. So you can uh, hook Monzo up with another app like a calendar and say every Monday put £5 in my savings, every Tuesday put six pounds so i use that and there's various challenges you can do like the one pound mm. a day challenge or yeah 365 yeah. days challenge where you put one pound on monday <laughs> two pounds on tuesday and it resets once a week yeah but you can do it automatically so you don't notice it right but it's quite good so you actually do end up with 1500 pounds at the end of the year so i like those apps. yeah I think that's very quite good. good um i've got a twitter question oh actually from amazing. someone yeah um we uh so it's about technology, actually. We're always talking about the impact te technology now has on our lives, industry, and how it's taking over. Uh, do you think there are any detrimental effects that technology is having on millennials and, and how we do things? Yeah, definitely in terms of how tempting it is to spend. So I'm guilty of this. Lots of people are that, you know, you use contactless or Apple Pay so much and you don't have to even look at the price of things. Yeah. I did this at lunchtime today. God, I, I just that. didn't even yeah. look at it. I just I tapped and then I thought, I don't actually know how much my lunch costs. <laughs> but then you do get an app, a message on your phone to tell you. But I think it that the frictionlessness yeah. of spending is a bit... It's it, easier it, to run up debt than, it, than it's ever been. because Yeah, it is. And there are yeah. new debt projects, which I've written about, like Klarna. So you don't even... Right. So Klarna is a buy now, pay later. Um, I don't know if you call it, call it an app program mm. thing you do online. Um, and, in, and it, you know, in some ways you could say it's quite convenient. You can shop on something like ASOS Topshop, get the clothes sent to you. You don't have to pay for them until you've decided you want to keep them. So mm. if you send them back within a certain period, you don't have to pay. Um but I think that's quite terrifying for budgeting because it means you don't really have to think about whether you can afford the clothes. You just yeah. get them. So I think I think making it super easy to spend can have a negative impact yeah. on 
and and things like online gambling and the fact you can get drunk and shop online in the middle of the night. And... I don't know anything about those. <laughs> and even just a co- just a, exactly. Even just the cost <laughs> yeah. of technology as well, you know, the cost yeah. of an iPhone, the cost of a new yeah. laptop. Um, so, yeah, I do. I think one of the best ways to budget still is to, to take mm. cash out. Um, actually, that links in with another question. We we covered stress and mental health last week with uh, or last month. I don't know what week it is. I don't know where <laughs> we are. Uh, last episode uh, with another journalist, actually, Leah Milner. And, and it's interesting you also cover this in your book around how how money makes you feel and money and well-being. I thought that that was really interesting. What struck you most about researching that part of the book? And are we are we failing people in not dealing with issues about how to how to deal with money more effectively? I think um, we all struggle to talk about money and be open. Mm. So when I was writing the book, and I wrote about this within it, that I realised I don't really know how much any of my friends earn. A few, but not really. Mm. We just don't really discuss that. No. And I don't really know if any of them are in debt. I do, because I do their mortgages. Yeah, you imagine actually <laughs> getting a bit of an insight. Yeah, they haven't come to me for financial advice. Um, but yeah, I don't I don't know those things about yeah. people. And I think um, things like debt are still very secret. And mm. um, Leah talks about this a lot, but uh, and she mentioned um, the M- Money and Mental Health Policy yeah. Institute. So yeah. I was speaking to Helen Andy um, from the charity, and she was saying, you know, they're dealing with this double taboo of mental health and money. Mm. And interestingly, you know, we're starting slowly but positively see that mental health is not somebody's fault. You know, it's mm. not your <clears throat> one's fault that they're depressed, but there's still quite a sense that debt is someone's fault. You know, you've been careless That's a really good point. you've overspent yeah. you're a bit feckless it's yeah. your fault and i and i think that compounds a sense of i don't want to admit that i've really come unstuck here yeah um, and that i'm in trouble financially there's a lot of shame around that and i think there's you know money is still so linked to status isn't it you, you've yeah. earned lots of money you must be very successful good at your job mm. and so i think those things can have a real it becomes quite secretive uh, and money worries are something that you struggle to share with even close friends yeah. or family, yeah, um, which can have a really bad impact on your mental health or just you know your well-being and how you feel. And uh, yeah, lots of people are in debt; just don't admit it. Even people with lots of money, you know, you talk to step everyone change. I meet's in debt. Well, Every client's yeah, in debt. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but debt that is feels yeah. uncontrollable. No, absolutely. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it's an important area and I do think we should all be a bit more mm. open about it. So what's the most important thing you've learned about personal debt generally? And what would be your first bit of advice to people who may feel they're getting a little overwhelmed by it? I think, um, yeah, talk to people you know, but also if you don't want to do that, I spoke to Step Change, the debt charity, mm. and they said, which I think is fascinating, that most people take a year, most of the clients they see, take a year to come and see them in which time right. they've run up an average of two thousand pounds more in interest charges and a lot of those people are just embarrassed yeah. they don't want to admit they've got a problem <clears> or, or they <throat> just don't want don't want to go there because they think oh I don't i'm not the kind of person who goes to a debt charity mm. so i think don't i i think don't wait because and don't ignore it because as we were saying with the credit card minimum payments mm. these things do not go away they just get worse yeah. they just it just snowballs yeah. something like debt so i think People don't want to look at the bank balance or look, look at the interest rates or really think about it too much. Mm. Um, 
but it's important to do so because uh, interestingly I think a lot of people don't realize there's no point in saving lots of money if you've got lots of credit card debt yeah. or if you've got lots of totally loans. Totally agree. It's one of the first things we, in one of our financial sessions, it's pay off your expensive debts first, yeah. like your credit card debts. Always try and leave around, I mean, you mentioned it as well, around three months um, essential outgoings on, on account if you can and then really try and tackle your debts. Yeah, and it feels, in a way, I think it feels counterintuitive <clears throat> because you think, well, I'm being sensible because I'm putting money aside. Mm. And I'm just chipping away at the day, the, the credit cards at yeah. minimum payment. But, yeah, you are losing money doing it's that. It's easy to get drawn in. Do you know what? I'm sitting here. I do it now. Yeah. I've got 5,000 on my credit. I don't mind admitting. Yeah. I've got 5,000 on my credit card. It's not on 0%. Yeah. And I'm worried about saving. I know. And, and I'm actually, the same. Just, I'm the oh, same. I say all this. But it's, it's a ridiculous. lot of it is, and I think it's important for financial experts and advisors to yeah. recognise this as well, that a lot of it is time and sitting down and thinking about it, making it a priority, because mm. it's easy to just not think about it, isn't yeah. it, if you're busy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's and, where you lose the money, isn't it? Yeah. And then sometimes, yeah, it gets to the point where you think, oh, I can't think about it. And you beat yourself up because you think, oh, I just wish I'd thought about this six yeah. months ago, two years ago. Um, so, yeah. Um, I want to touch on ethical finance, because you, yeah, that that's one of, the, one of the things, Is I think that's where you ended the book, is that, uh, Ethical finance was a massive thing about five, six, seven years ago, I remember, and this is going to be the future and everyone's going to do everything ethically. Is this, is it really a growing industry still or, or is it just paying lip service and, and when people actually come down to it, do they just chase high returns anyway rather than being ethical? Yeah, um, I one of the things I think is that people would be more ethical if they knew it was an option but I think people don't engage at all with money issues to begin with so they don't think about it right. so for example if you're thinking about something like pensions I think a lot of people all sorts of people but particularly younger people don't know they've got a pension through work because they've been automatically yeah. enrolled into yeah, yeah. it but they don't think what is that pension like what you know where is it <laughs> <laughs> I asked my sister this. I said, do you actually know where your pension money is? Yeah. She's like, oh, no, I don't really. And, and it's time when people ask that question, do you invest in the stock market? And people mm. say no. And it's like, well, you do if you've got a pension with your company. So I think people don't realise mm. um, that their money, that they're saving into the pension, might be going into companies that they might otherwise yeah. boycott or feel um, that they don't want to support. Mm. So I think actually some of it's about joining the dots to understanding your financial products to then be able to make a clear-eyed decision about whether you want to, whether you agree with business practices of certain organisations. Yeah. Um, and I think there are, younger people are very concerned, not just with the environment and sustainability and things like plastics, but I think things like diversity um, and things like whether companies are paying enough tax. I do mm. think there are, and, and perhaps yeah, it's post... Yeah, that's an interesting one at the moment, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's perhaps post-financial uh, crisis as well. Mm. There's a, an unease, I think, among younger people with you know, maybe financial services in general, but big organisations. Um, look at Topshop. I mean, yeah. actually, a lot of that is to do with a sense that people don't want to support... Philip Green. Mm. I mean, not totally, but I think yeah. there is a, no, you know, I think there are a underlying. lot of people who think, hang yeah. on a second, I don't think we, we want to stand for this anymore. Yeah. So I personally do think that companies that consider things yeah. like, you know, being responsible, thinking about the environment, mm. thinking about their staff and diversity will be more successful. And therefore, perhaps, hopefully, that will 
be better for yeah yeah you know, better for returns good. but yeah I think I'm optimistic I like about it. I like that. That's good. <laughs> um, right. Well, look, that's almost half an hour. It oh. just flies, doesn't it? But I'm asking all my guests this question. So um, I usually say, if you're not in the mortgage industry, what would you be doing? But you're clearly not in the mortgage industry. What? Well, so you're not a journalist anymore. What would you? What What would you be doing? Or what did you always? think you would be doing what's your purpose? So I always wanted to be a journalist but I think it's because I liked writing mm. so my, dr- my dream would be to write a novel an amazing novel I'd love to do that yeah having written a non-fiction book I'm totally in awe of anybody <laughs> who could sit down and keep an amazing novel in their head it, it feels yeah. such an incredible any, skill have you have you got any ideas mm. Wait, and what genre would it be oh good question I don't know I a kind of, I would, yeah, like a kind of family saga type. Right, okay, I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're Not like in a Fifty somewhere. Shades of Grey, more of a... Mills and Boone, possibly not. And yeah, no. And you, on never that know, bombshell, you never you know. You never know. You heard it here, for, heard it here first. Um, right, well, thank you very much. Thank you thank very you. much to my guest, Laura Waitley. Waitley, I got that right. You got that right. There you go. And of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, I'm not just saying it. I do recommend the book. Money, a user's guide is available now from your preferred book retailer. I think that's what I'm allowed to say. Maybe not Amazon if they're uh, dodging their tax. Well, yeah, pay your tax, Amazon. Come on, (laughs) get it. Uh, That's where I bought mine. Is that bad? Sorry. Anyway. Um, Anyway. Thank you very much. We'll be back next month. And if you have any comments or questions in the meantime to put to either myself or any of our guests, you can contact me on Twitter at Monty's blog. Until next time, this is The Mortgage Show signing off.